Thanks again, Judith. And uh, do keep your Bibles uh, open there. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, the passages we'll be looking at will also be on the screen for you as we uh, work our way through uh, chapters 32 to 34 of Exodus this morning. Let's pray as we prepare to do that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, the Bible, uh, we read your words to us. Uh, we praise you that you have taught us all we need to know about yourself, about us and about how we live as your people. Help us to understand what we read and help us to uh, live according to your word, to live in ways that glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, humans often need a mediator. There are situations we find ourselves in when we simply need someone to act on our behalf, to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. The law courts are a place where this is often very clear. Uh, when you find yourself in some kind of legal trouble and without the, the expertise or the resource, resources to defend yourself, you, you need legal representation. Uh, someone to put your case to represent you before the judge. Uh, someone to negotiate your way to, to the other side of a tricky situation. The Presbyterian Church of Queensland uh, is in a difficult legal situation currently. As you, I'm sure you know by now, we've uh, benefited and will continue to benefit for some time uh, from legal experts who are engaged to mediate uh, for us, uh, to uh, represent us uh, in the Supreme Court and to help us find a way to resolution of our financial difficulties. Uh, without this kind of mediation work, well, we'd be in significantly more trouble, <laughs> significantly more difficulty than we are. We simply couldn't do without it. Uh, humans often need a mediator. Uh, we need someone with greater skill or knowledge or power to act on our behalf uh, to achieve an outcome that we can't achieve on our own. This is, more, uh, this is never more true than when it comes to the problem of sin. Uh, the Bible is full of examples of mediation, times when our rebellion against a good and holy God places us in a situation that we can't get ourselves out of. Uh, the people of Israel find themselves in that situation today as we look at chapters 32 to 34 of Exodus, where they, they work themselves into a state of abject disobedience and rebellion. Uh, and they need someone to mediate with God on their behalf. The golden calf represents Israel's lowest point so far in terms of their disobedience to God. Uh, lowest point so far in their relationship with God. Twice now, as the law and covenant have been read to the people, they've responded with resounding enthusiasm. Yes, we will obey everything the Lord has commanded us. And here... Uh, with those words still ringing in their ears, Israel take the first two commandments and stomp them into the ground. Their grumbling and doubt and fear and complaining they all, all culminate in this. They get sick of waiting for Moses to come down the mountain and so they have Aaron build them a golden calf to be their God. Uh, remember the way that Israel plundered Egypt as they came out of that land? Uh, the Egyptians gave them all manner of precious gold and jewellery as they left. Well, Here's what Israel do with that gold. <laughs> uh, have a read from chapter 32 with me uh, and verse 1. Chapter 32 from verse 1. 
When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What on earth are Israel doing? <laughs> All the miraculous things God has, has done for them are still in, in extremely uh, recent memory. His displays of power and mercy and might didn't happen that long ago. Uh, and yet, after Moses is up the mountain for just a matter of weeks, well, they decide he's not coming back and they have their chief priest Aaron make them a false god, probably much like uh, one of the idols the Egyptians would have served. The covenant made by God with Israel in chapter 19 was made with a condition. Israel would be his people, his treasured possession, special to him in all the earth, if they followed his covenant with him, if they kept his covenant. And here they are, just weeks later, breaking that covenant, worshipping other gods, making images to worship. And they descend into pagan revelry. Chapter 32, verses 5 and 6. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. If you can imagine uh, the images that come to mind uh, when it says there to indulge in revelry, uh, what you think is probably right, uh, Israel have slid down a slippery slope very quickly. Uh, they've poured detergent on that black tarpaulin and just dove down the hill. Uh, the very next thing we hear is that God tells Moses what Israel are doing. Uh, before we get to that conversation, we're going to skip ahead a little and look at Moses' conversation with Aaron. Uh, Moses goes down the mountain to investigate and he's angry. And we'll see what he says uh, to Aaron and how Aaron replies in verses 21 to 24. Chapter 32, verses 21 to 24. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil? They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. <laughs> I laugh at that too every time. Isn't it one of the funniest passages in the Bible? Aaron is having a laugh. He's having a lend of Moses here. Uh, we know from the start of the chapter he cast and fashioned this idol. Uh, a lot of work went into producing the golden calf. Aaron knew exactly what he was doing. But here he is, when faced with this incredible sin, making up an unbelievable story. If I were Aaron, I wouldn't want to admit what I'd done either. <laughs> and if he can avoid punishment by lying, well, he obviously thinks that might work. Uh, I wonder how often do you respond to your own sin like that? 
When confronted by someone, uh, when, when found out in, in some sin or wrongdoing, how often do you respond the way Aaron does? I mean, he can either admit it or he can deny it. Just make light of it or try and justify it. Uh, and he, he goes for the second option. Uh, it's, it's a mix of uh, the, the I didn't mean it and the I was just following orders defence here. Uh, he's basically denying responsibility when he's as culpable as the people, if not more so, because he's their leader at this point. Moses left him in charge. And he's leading the people into apostasy. How often do you make the same response when confronted with sin? We, we can do it with little sins or big sins. Uh, we can do it when other people confront us of our sin or we can privately justify our sin to ourselves, can't we? It's pretty easy to do. It's quite natural for us to do that. But ultimately we know when we've sinned, don't we? We always know when we've sinned. Uh, in our heart we know and, well, we should just own up to it, <laughs> confess and ask forgiveness. So I think recognising sin, it's like stepping on a carpet snake with bare feet. I'll explain um, I was hanging, hanging out the laundry one night. We were living in Indrapilly uh, at the time. Uh, and the, the house we were living in, the laundry opened into the garage and the back of the garage was open to the backyard. Uh, and so anything could come in. And anyway, uh, I was backing out of the laundry with the trolley, all the wet clothes ready to hang out. And as I was backing out, my bare foot just landed on top of something cool and soft and smooth uh, I knew immediately <laughs> that I'd come into contact with a living creature, one that I didn't especially want to be in contact with. Uh, I didn't look down, I didn't call out, I just quickly and quietly stepped back into the laundry, closed the door behind me. Uh, I took a second, waited for my heartbeat to slow down again. Uh, when I'd readied myself, I peeked through the door and sure enough, it confirmed that I'd stepped on a two and a half metre carpet snake. Just confirming what I already knew. You know, don't you? Uh, we know sin when we commit it. Uh, we know when we've sinned. And Aaron knew, and Israel must have known, surely, how blatantly they were sinning against God. And whether Israel want to admit it or not, uh, there'll be consequences for this sin. Uh, we'll go back now and have a look at the conversation between God and Moses. Uh, as all of this is happening with the golden calf, uh, we see God's anger here at Israel's blatant sin, and we're going to see Moses mediating with God for the people. Uh, this could have been the end for Israel. Um, it's interesting that this event comes in between the instructions for the tabernacle and the description of the building of the tabernacle. It comes right in between uh, those two parts of Exodus, God has promised his presence with his people. He's given the blueprint for the place where he will dwell with his people, the place where they will meet with him. And with Israel's apostasy, well, at this point we only have the plans before us. With Israel's apostasy, the plans for the tabernacle, they could get shelved. We're left wondering here whether the tabernacle will even be built. Is God just going to destroy his people after all? Uh, because he threatens to wipe them off the face of the earth. Um, chapter 32, verses 9 and 10. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. 
then I will make you into a great nation. We come very close here, it seems, to uh, the end for Israel. But this leads us to the first instance in these chapters of Moses' mediation. Uh, Verses 11 to 14. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Disaster averted uh, before the people of Israel even know what's happening. Uh, They won't be wiped off the face of the earth today. Moses and Joshua head back down the mountain and Moses is so angry. uh, He he breaks the stone tablets, the the, the tablets inscribed with the law. They they took 40 days to make and a matter of seconds to destroy. And here we see the consequences for Israel's sin. Although Moses has mediated and God has relented, that doesn't mean there's no... Moses grinds up the idol and makes Israel drink it in verse 20. Might seem a little strange. Uh, Not not much of a a God, really, if you can simply put in your water and drink it. Uh, Then there's much more severe punishment. Moses calls to himself all those who are on the Lord's side. The Levites come to him and he sends them through the camp, killing the Israelites. About 3,000 of them, we're told, in verse 28. Uh, the criteria, criteria aren't clearly stated, uh, but if those doing the killing are on the Lord's side, presumably uh, the ones they're killing are those persisting in their rebellion against God. Uh, and Israel's revelry comes to an abrupt end. After these punishments, Moses' mediation isn't over. He knows that God's anger still burns against Israel. Uh, have a look at chapter 32, verses 30 to 32. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses is offering to make atonement. This is fascinating. Uh, He's attempting to repair Israel's relationship with God, even at his own expense. Yet God is still in control here, and and sin will still be punished. God listens to Moses. He shows mercy. But Moses can't stand in the place of those who deserve punishment. Uh, Chapter 32, verses 33 to 34. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. There is punishment to come. Uh, God sends a plague on Israel at this point. Uh, And then at the start of 
chapter 33, we see a further uh, potential consequence of Israel's sin, a further punishment foreshadowed because of how Israel have damaged their relationship with God. God tells Moses to lead Israel up to the land, but he says he won't go with them. He'll send an angel to drive out the nations before them, but if he goes himself, he's likely to kill them. They make him so angry. God simply can't stand to be around Israel like now, like when you, uh, like, like when you send your kids to their room because they're just driving you crazy. You're afraid of what you might do to them if they're with them in their presence for a moment longer. Uh, it's like that, but multiplied by several orders of magnitude. Israel are in big trouble. Uh, of all God's punishments for their sin, taking away his presence would be worst, the worst punishment. Uh, we saw last week what a privilege it is for Israel to have God dwelling with them. This is what the tabernacle, the ark, represents. God is a God who dwells with his people. What an amazing thing. And now he threatens to take that privilege away. Well, Moses realises the people's desperate need, their sin and rebellion, they just highlight even more their need for God. If God isn't with them, they may as well not go to the promised land. So uh, in Exodus 33, Moses mediates between God and Israel again, uh, from verse 15. Then Moses said to, them, uh, said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you. And I know you. Again, as before, God is gracious. Uh, God demonstrates his grace. Knowing exactly what Israel needs, he shows mercy. Uh, he promises, yes, he will go with them. He will be with them as their God. The tabernacle will be built after all, and, and God will keep his presence with his people. Uh, at the end of Exodus, as we saw last week, the, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle after it's completed. God keeps his promise. And so Moses' mediation it works uh, to an extent. God listens and relents and reaffirms his covenant with Israel, largely for the sake of Moses. But there's still a, a true atonement needed. Moses couldn't atone for the people's sins. Uh, he could delay the inevitable by uh, pleading with God, but they would still be punished. As we continue to read through Israel's journey to the promised land, we see this uh, punishment uh, brought about. Israel's disobedience continue. They disobey God by refusing to enter the land he's promised them. And so an entire generation dies in the wilderness uh, as God has them wander almost within sight of the promised land for 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, in the end, even Moses' own sin will keep him from entering the promised land. This is a problem that will plague the people of Israel for their whole nation, whole history as a nation, their sin, their constant rebellion against God, their rejection of him. This highlights the need for a, a better mediator, a, a permanent atonement. Highlights the need for a mediator who can truly atone for our sin, who can truly satisfy God's righteous requirements on our behalf. Uh, we've seen already in this series on Exodus that the law and the obedience, it commands, the sacrificial system, 
It all points us forward to a perfect and permanent atonement which all people need when it comes to our relationship with God because of sin. Well, God can no more stand to be in our presence than the presence of Israel. All people sin. All people fall short of God's perfect standards. And praise God, we know there is a better mediator. There is a perfect atonement that makes us acceptable to God. That mediator, of course, is Jesus. Uh, The Apostle Paul in Romans 3, verses 21 to 25. uh, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Moses' pleading with God could only achieve so much based on his relationship with God, God's faithfulness to his promise, God's mercy, the sacrifice of the perfect man, Jesus, who is both God and man, could achieve everything. Jesus could actually give himself in place of us, pain for our sin. Uh, The mediator, Jesus, makes us right with God through faith in him. Uh, The writer to the Hebrews compares the Old Testament sacrificial system with the mediation and atonement provided by Jesus, and he shows how Jesus fulfills and completes God's promise to his people. Jesus' mediation achieves something the old system never could. Uh, Hebrews 8, verse 6, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator, is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Uh, In Hebrews 9, verses 14 to 15, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Jesus is uh, the the better mediator. Moses knew this this mediator was coming. uh, coming. Uh, See what Stephen says about uh, Jesus in Acts chapter 7. Here, Stephen, uh, in his speech, is quoting Moses' words from Deuteronomy, Acts 7 from verse 37. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. Jesus is the prophet like Moses that God promised to send, and we know this because even the words Moses uttered to Israel millennia ago were living words for God's people in Stephen's day uh, and for Christians today. Look to Jesus, God's Saviour, his sacrifice, the perfect mediator. He's better than any lawyer in court or any human mediator because he not only mediates between us and God, but he 
pays the penalty owed by us to God so that we can be set free. He doesn't simply negotiate the best deal he can get. Uh, He gives us everlasting freedom from a penalty that we can't escape. He provides lasting atonement. He justifies you, makes you right with God. You believe in him. God is a faithful and holy God. He is a good God. Uh, At the end of chapter 33, we have a request from Moses to see God's glory. And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. God's glory is in his goodness. He is a good and merciful God. Uh, No one can see my face and live, God says. But God protects Moses in a, a cleft in the rock, covers Moses with his hand and then passes by, removing his hand just the last moment so Moses can see the back of God. It's a real sign of how pleased God is with Moses. God can't stand to be in the presence of Israel without destroying them right now. But he can be very close to Moses. Even then, of course, he can only be so close. The difference between God and men is highlighted here. Uh, Moses can't even see God's face lest he dies. Highlights the glory of God. God gives the law to Moses again, makes a a new set of tablets, and he restates in chapter 34, much of the law on not making idols, uh, not worshipping the gods of the people in the lands, not making treaties with them. Uh, Moses was there for another 40 days and 40 nights, and thankfully we're not told that Israel made another golden calf this time uh, or anything else so rebellious. And as God restates the covenant, The preamble to this giving of the law tells us some wonderful things about God. Uh, Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 to 7. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children generation. Four verses that could have a sermon all on their own here, and I want to draw out the fact that they emphasise the faithfulness of God and when Israel has broken it. Uh, The Hebrew word chesed, uh, such an important word, describes the covenant faithfulness of God. promise because he is a loving God. God's love is such that even when his people are in open rebellion, God will keep his promise. This is, Israel certainly aren't going to keep it and neither could we if we were in their position. The only way God's covenant survive as if God keeps it. Uh, God is just and sin is still punished. And it's purely on the basis of this faithfulness and love of God that Moses can continue to make intercession. It's purely because of this love and faithfulness of God that the covenant can continue. Uh, Exodus 34 verses 8 and 9. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin. 
The covenant is then restated. Uh, the chapter ends with a description of this ongoing relationship between Moses and God and Israel. Uh, and this being in the presence of God makes Moses' face glow, and even the glowing face of Moses is too much for the people of Israel to look at. Uh, Moses has to wear a veil after communication between God and his people, and so they can't even look in the face of the one who talks to God on their behalf. To a degree, Israel is distance from God, apart from certain individuals uh, at particular times who he, he gives his spirit to and who he communicates with directly. His veiled communication was overcome. Moses enjoys a relationship with God that that changes for all God's people with the arrival of Jesus. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 describes the difference under the new covenant uh, uh, of the phenomenon that we looked at last week of God's well, huge difference that that makes, the difference between old and new covenant, law and grace, letter and spirit. 11. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? More glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? The new covenant, salvation, here is where we see the glory and goodness of God. Uh, as people who know Christ, uh, we can uh, read and understand the, that we can have God living in us personally by his spirit. We can communicate with God directly and permanent forgiveness of sins. The veil is taken away. In the spirit, we're bringing glory to God, God dwelling within us. See the way Paul describes the removal of the veil? A few, few verses further down, 2 Corinthians 3 from verse 16. But whenever anyone... Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who within transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As God's people today, we're being transformed. That, that the goal of bringing glory to God, even as we behold his glory. Uh, we could do this because we, we know what he has done to save us. We know Jesus. We have the personal relationship with him. Uh, the Apostle Peter, covenant lost without Jesus, and those who have put their trust in Jesus, the, the ultimate expression of God's faithfulness in the new covenant. Uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are call called by God to bring glory to God. Uh, Peter goes on in his letter to urge his readers in light of God's mercy towards them to live such good lives in the world that even those who revile them will be brought to glorify God on the day he returns. God is a merciful, loving and forgiving God. We enjoy a relationship with him through his son Jesus. 
because of his spirit who lives within us. Uh, God expresses his great love for us in his perfect son, Jesus, the, the one who mediates between us and God, wins forgiveness for sin, and puts his spirit within us so that we can have a relationship with God that uh, is un- unparalleled. Our part in response to everything God has done us is done for us uh, is to reflect this love, to reflect this this mercy, this goodness of God, to live in ways that bring glory to to the God who has saved us, and we do it so that He might be glorified. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are a good and merciful God. We praise you for your love and your faithfulness. We praise you that you are a God who keeps your promise. You are a God who acts to save your people. You are a God who restores our relationship with you and brings about forgiveness of sin for those who cannot achieve forgiveness in any other way. You provide salvation through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, that great mediator who makes atonement between you and us. We praise you that through faith in Jesus, we have that forgiveness, we have that assurance of salvation and the glory of eternal life in heaven to look forward to. And we know that you live in us by your spirit, Lord. We praise you for this. We praise you for your goodness to us. And we ask that you would help us to live in ways that glorify you. Help us to reflect your glory to the world around us. Help us to live in ways that show how much you have loved us. And help us to do this, Lord, so that you would be glorified, so that others would come to know you, that you would be glorified in your world. We pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.